0: For me, wellness is a a space where you're allowed to exist without explanation and just be. And, And for a Black woman, there are very few spaces we can actually just be, you know, and exist as we are. Hey everyone, welcome
1: back to Flourish in the Foreign the podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, while also exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman currently based in Spain. I am not only a podcaster, but also a business strategist that helps Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable and sustainable businesses, businesses that make them professionally fulfilled as well as financially abundant while they pursue thriving lives abroad. If you are ready to take your dream seriously and your business seriously and launch that business or scale it to a full-time business, definitely get in touch. You can learn more about me and my business at christinejobe.com. That is C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-J-O-B.com. And if you have not already grabbed my Build a Business Abroad guide, definitely grab that today. The link to that is in the description of this episode and can also find it on the Flourish in the Foreign website. So y'all know that Flourish Foreign is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. And y'all, this labor has paid off. The podcast has been shortlisted for the International Women's Podcast Awards in the Moment of Touching Honesty category. The awards will be announced on Thursday, September 23rd. In London, so thank you guys for showing love. If you're looking to support this podcast that has been shortlisted for the International Women's Podcast Awards, you can you can become a Patreon at patreoncom foreign. You can tip the podcast via Cash App at dollar sign flourishforeign. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Flourish Foreign. You can purchase a piece of production equipment via the Amazon wish list, which you can find on the website flourishintheforeign.com slash support. And as always, write a review. It helps. Give the podcast a five-star rating. Share the podcast with everyone that you know. Thank you all again so much for your love and support. All right, on to the next episode. Today's guest is Lola. And Lola is an incredibly accomplished travel journalist and photojournalist, published author many times over, and just an incredible speaker as well. Her story of how she ended up in Sweden and how she has really created a career and a life for herself to thrive, is inspirational also lola has a brand new book it's her first venture into fiction it's coming out this september september 7th i believe 2021 and it is called in every mirror she is black and i am so excited about it i asked her about the book during her interview and i hope you all will support her and pre-order that book Maybe we'll even do a book club. I don't know, we'll see what happens. Anyway, as I said before, Lola is incredible and so inspirational, but I will let her tell you all about
0: it. Lola Akimadi Orchestra, 42, Stockholm, Sweden. So I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, and I left when I was 15 to go to the United States to start college. I grew up in a family that loved to travel. I mean, before I was one year old, I I was already traveling abroad. And my dad worked in a field. He was a geologist. uh, And so that field took him all over the world as a geologist. And my grandfather wasn't in the shipping industry. So he sailed as well and he traveled a lot. So I think just that spirit of adventure, of exploration, of wanting to see and put out uh, my life in context with the bigger world was always kind of fostered in my family when we grew up. And so when I went to school, you know, as a, as a young student, geography was my favorite subject. So I knew that travel and exploring and, and kind of living across borders was going to be in my future. I just didn't know how it was going to manifest itself.
1: So Lola finished high school at 15 and went to the United States to attend university. And I asked her to describe her experience being a 15-year-old attending university in the United States and if she felt any culture shock.
0: So when I was 15, I was done with high school and I was actually going to go to college in Nigeria but the universities at the time were on strike and were shut down and so I decided okay I'm gonna go abroad for an extended vacation and while the universities were still on strike like three months later we decided to change my tourist visa into a student visa and get me registered in college there in the US and so I went to study information systems and geography was my minor and I think for me, especially at that young age, I was a lot more mature, <laughs> you know, for my age. And But I was also coming with an identity of sorts, right? I mean, I had my culture, I was Nigerian, I am Nigerian. I had a strong sense of cultural identity. And so when I moved to the U.S., the culture shock I experienced was more about people trying to put me in a box and, and define who I was before I actually told them who I was. And so for me, that was kind of what I struggled and battled against because I had already a good sense of self, of what my own values were, what what my own culture was. And so I think for the first couple of years in the U.S., that was tough, especially having to deal with that as a teenager in college, you know, (laughs) trying to kind of find your space. And then not only find your space, but share your own voice and your own truth and your own way of seeing the world.
1: I was curious to know what Lola chose to do after she graduated from university.
0: So when I was done with my undergrad, so I was done at uh, 19 and I got a job and moved to Ohio. So I went to University of Maryland. So that was kind of where I started my undergrad and then moved to Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, where I already started working as a programmer. And so those first few years were kind of my colleagues and age mates who were kind of patting and just living the life of a, you know, typical 20 year old, I was already working in a place where I, I, I felt like I was living a life of 10 years, you know, like a decade, you know, older. When I moved to Dayton, Ohio, it was kind of an interesting space. It was a new culture in a sense, you know, I mean, it was the Midwest, but then what I did was I was able to find a community. I found my own tribe down there. And so I found a rugby community. And so I played rugby for many years while I was there. The great thing with rugby is it pulls a lot of international people. So I was able to kind of create that mini international family in a place that wasn't as diverse. And so that kind of sustained me for the seven years in Dayton, Ohio, before I moved back to the East coast. And through that time, I grew in my career as a programmer and then onto being a system architect. And by the time I moved back to the East Coast, I had already started thinking of transitioning away from being a programmer, even though I loved it, into something that was a lot more creative, that was going to use my own skills and talents as a, as a writer and a photographer.
1: So Lola studied information systems and geography in university. And so I was super curious as to what was her journey into becoming a travel journalist and a photojournalist?
0: You know, like I said, I grew up in a family that really loved to travel. We we did explore quite a bit. And so I knew that I wasn't going to be confined to a desk, you know, kind of for the rest of my life, or at least if I had any control over it. And so even when I worked as a programmer, I, I took every opportunity to travel but it wasn't until 2002 when I volunteered with an expedition race in Fiji. And I was there for three weeks going into some of the most remote parts of Fiji, going to some of the most kind of remote villages, meeting amazing people, writing about what I was experiencing, writing about what was going on with the race. That was, it was at that moment I realized that there was something more that I could actually create a career out of this, out of being able to write about place, share about space, and do so in a kind of visual way. So when I kind of came back from that volunteer trip in Fiji and started kind of plotting my escape, and I won't say escape, because I really did enjoy my job as a programmer, but kind of plotting this transition, I knew that, well, I didn't have any clips. And when I say clips, that means I didn't have any publication experience. So how was I gonna approach big, break brands and tell them to publish me right but one thing I did have was I was audacious I am an audacious person and so if I believe in a story idea if I feel like a story is a good story idea I'm going to pitch it to the biggest publication I feel like I want that story to be in and so that's what I did and what's the worst that could happen they just ignore your email right because they don't know you you have no experience but what's the best that could happen they actually respond or say, oh, this is a cool idea. And so that did happen. And that was how I was able to start getting my feet into some of those doors. It was really by believing in the story and my voice and then by being audacious. By being audacious, because there's no one moment when you're going to be perfect. There's no one moment where you're going to wake up and say, now I'm a professional. It's just about, it's just how you go about it, as well as just believing, you know what, I am today going to call myself a professional and then i'm going to just do the work to catch up <laughs> to that title i give myself so that is kind of how i started getting into those publications and once you start getting into one two three of them then it's easier to get into more because now you have the publication by lines you can say i've also been published in this and that and so that's kind of how it started growing and then i started creating a niche quickly you know especially when i moved to sweden I said, you know what? Even though I love to explore the world, I can't be a generalist. I can't be everything to everyone. I need to create a niche. And so for me, that was really about culture, exploring culture through slow indigenous food, through traditions, people are keeping preserving through lifestyles, and then niching in like a regional expertise, Scandinavia because I'm based there in the Baltics. And so that was what really helped. Because by creating that niche, I was was also able to focus and start creating a portfolio based on those experiences and based on that niche. I was curious
1: to learn more about Lola's career in photojournalism and what struggles she has faced in the travel industry as a photojournalist.
0: So I think one of the things that has been difficult and up until this year, kind of with the Black Lives uh, Matter revolution, was trying to prove to editors that my work was worthy and that my work could reach broad audiences and one of the things that uh, editors used to do was because you are black they tried to pigeonhole you and say okay just write about being a black woman or just write about the black experience but that wasn't the point it's like i can write about other things you know and so a lot of those editors were saving those kind of prime assignments for people that looked like them you know and then add on the fact that I'm also a travel photographer. And when you say travel photographer, it's usually when you picture a travel photographer, you picture a a white rugged guy that looked like he just came down Everest and then went to go model for GQ. That's the stereotype. And then I show up. So trying to convince a lot of those editors that my work is comparable to many of those guys, that was a challenge. So there was a lot of kind of systemic barriers and racism as I was going through the industry, and, and even from people. So for example, if you put my photo next to one of those guys, they, they will say, oh, this guy's work is amazing. When they put my work, which is comparable, they'll be like, oh, did you take that? Wow, that's amazing. Maybe I can take that as well. So that was kind of all that microaggressions I had to deal with. And then, and then this year, with, when Black Lives Matter happened, it really bust open the, the travel industry really call them out to be accountable because for an industry that thrives on being open because that's what travel is where we travel to to be open to explore to invite to connect for for an industry that thrives on being open it was one of the most closed industries and so this year it really kind of opened up and really made space for black voices for black points of views for black storytellers because we also need to diversify not just the stories we tell of a place but the storytellers telling the stories of a place because then you get a more complete picture of a place right you tell you get a more complete picture of if you send like for example a white storyteller to a place they, their experience will be totally different than if you send a black storyteller to the place but both stories are equally true about the place and so you get a more complete picture I'm grateful that you know with what happened this year now now more black voices are allowed into the space by the publications and now they're getting to get even more diverse richer stories to share.
1: So as you all know, Flourish in the Foreign is all about elevating the stories of black women from across the diaspora who are living and thriving abroad. And so the topic of Blackness is always a subject that I'm always fascinated to hear different perspectives on because Blackness is not monolithic and how people perceive themselves and their identity and how they are perceived out in the world is very different. I asked Lola what has been her experience as a Black woman abroad
0: so one of the things that i felt was a privilege growing up in nigeria was i i am black but everybody else is also black right and so the color of my skin was not thrown into my face every single day and so in a sense i had the privilege of being able to grow up in a place where i wasn't reminded every day that i'm black and I think when I moved to the US and then truly understood just the horrendous history you know, of the US, and then I realized kind of what a privilege it was also to grow up in a place where you're not reminded every day or judged every day by the color of your skin. And so that's one of the things when I moved to the US, it wasn't so much African-Americans, but it was more others trying to put me in a box because they see the color of my skin first. And so moving to the U.S., I learned to also take on uh, elements of the, of the struggle and the battle just to say, you know what, I'm black and I'm allowed to thrive. I can thrive and exist without you reminding me every day I'm black. And so that was kind of one of the things that I, I kind of had to fight with, especially coming in, you know, at 15, 16, trying to figure out, OK, all of a sudden I am no longer seen as Lola who is Yoruba but I'm just seen as a black person and then society tries to create that box around me as as a black person this is what I'm supposed to do think feel and so that was what I kind of fought against because it didn't make sense to me so that was one of the things that I had to deal with in terms of just being put in a box and then trying to find community and so when I was in um, University of Maryland again is Finding, for example, the African Students Association or connecting with black people, fellow black people from diff- all around the world, including uh, Americans, and then truly understanding just how different, because for me, growing up in Nigeria was mostly about culture, right? So it wasn't more about you this skin color, it's just more about what's, what's your cultural beliefs and values. And so the, for me, that was what I started connecting on, just in terms of culture and then trying to understand each other's culture. So Lola attended
1: university in the United States, and now she lives in Sweden. And so I asked her, what was the journey? What was the impetus to move from the United
0: States to Sweden? Because I met my husband. (laughs) So it wasn't something that was planned. It was something that was a discussion that was had, right? Between my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband and is a Swedish guy. And so at the time we decided, okay would it make sense for me to move because I had a more flexible job as a programmer and he was working in a job that, that required him to be in Sweden. He was working in Swedish media. And so even moving to Sweden, I didn't know much about the country. i um, even though I'd been there before, it wasn't something that I was like, Oh, this is going to be my new home. This is where I'm going to thrive," or or whatever. I was just more of like, okay, this is a new transition in my life. I'm open to new experiences. And I have the more kind of flexible career, so why not just take the chance and move? The thing with with any culture or any place you move to is there is a whole new set of rules you have to learn. There is a whole new set mindset you have to decode, right? And so for me, especially with somebody that really loves kind of getting beneath culture, I quickly started getting beneath the Swedish mindset and how Swedes operate, the society operates, and just... What the their rationale or thinking process is, and for me, I always say that the quickest way to get beneath a culture is to understand how the culture handles stress, right? How it handles daily stress. So, for example, when I think of Nigeria, Nigeria is a very vibrant culture, and we live every day like there's no tomorrow, which means we know that stress is a part of life. So, why not just live life? because you cannot fix every stressor. So why not just leave what you have to the fullest, right? That's kind of the Nigerian mentality. So it's a very, almost like a daily mindset that revels every single day. We're always celebrating, always patting, always kind of living in the moment. The American mindset is more of also, we need to be productive and we can't get rid of the stress. So what can we creatively do to camouflage the stress? So you so that creates a culture that's very competitive, very creative, because you're, cr- you're trying to create quick solutions to kind of keep the stress at bay while you're still proceeding in life and moving forward. So I always say that's why the American uh, mindset is kind of creative in that way. And then the Swedish mindset is one that needs to deal with stress first before it can be very productive. And so when you think about the sources of stress, it's usually our physiological needs, food, water, shelter, health care peace of mind, you know, work-life balance. So the Swedish mindset needs to put those things in place to, add, to kind of deal with basic stress before it can be really productive. And so those are the things I've been learning as you explore and spend time, you know, in different cultures.
1: So Arctic winters are no joke. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that early on I had Jules on the show and she talked about dealing with winter in Iceland. And so I had to ask Lola about Scandinavian winters and how she has handled winter in Sweden.
0: So there is a a popular kind of saying in the Nordics and Sweden as well that says, there is no bad weather, only bad clothes. That's what they say. So they say that there's no bad weather is how you dress yourself. I've tested that theory. I'm like, eh, nah, not, not, no, no, no. No number of layers of clothes will stop this cold getting into your bones. So my I think my first year or two in Sweden, just getting to that cold was I like I did not want to move. I'm like, Lord, this cold feels like knives stabbing inside my nostrils. It is cold. But then my body started adjusting, you know, and I think once you stay on living a climate for a long time, your body actually starts adjusting to that temperature. And so, over the years, I have adjusted to living in very cold climates. I actually thrive and love living in the cold. I've chased northern lights, photographed them, and they require being out in very, very cold weather. I've done a lot of kind of great, fun winter activities like sledding, like snow, like husky sledding in Finland and Sweden and Greenland, or like snowshoeing in Greenland. So, so I do thrive in that weather now. But in the beginning, it wasn't easy. It's also breaking stereotypes, right? Where we'd say, like, well, Black people don't like cold weather. You know, we thrive in the tropics. Yes. But I think once you start embracing it and saying, you know what? How can I also thrive in this kind of harsh climate? And then, Then it can open up a world of possibilities for you as well.
1: Language has the ability to turn isolation into community and camaraderie. And so I asked Lola, how did she learn Swedish and if she's
0: fluent? So I wasn't studying much before I moved. But I think when I moved, I spent a year going to Swedish school, something called the SFE. So it's Swedish for immigrants and it's free from the government. And so I spent a year taking those classes until I got pregnant. Then I kind of dropped out. But what that does is... Once you get like your social security, like the Swedish equivalent of a social security number, then you can register for these free courses. And then it kind of starts teaching you some of the basics and fundamentals of of Swedish. And then the way I've kind of learned is really by speaking to friends, to families, now with my kids. And, And it's still a language I'm learning. You know, yes, I can speak it, but I call myself an advanced intermediate speaker. But because for me, using the word fluent, I feel like it deserves a certain level for you to say you're fluent. I think a lot of people that can speak it just say, oh, I'm fluent, I'm fluent, but they're really not fluent. <laughs> they are more kind of intermediate or advanced intermediate. So it's not a word I throw, even though I'm really good at the language. I, it's not a word I throw just casually, like, oh, I'm fluent in this language. It takes, it takes a certain level to say I'm fluent. So that's kind of how I've learned the language and sometimes I plateau for months, sometimes I inch up, you know. But but I'm just kind of slowly learning it as I go.
1: Lola is an acclaimed writer. She has a Stockholm-based travel consultancy, GeoTraveler Media. She co-founded Local Purse, which supports travel guides and local artisans through live video shopping. She has her own online academy, Geo Traveler Media Academy. And as I said before, she has written so many wonderful books. She has written Due North and the best-selling Langom, Swedish Secret of Living Well, which is available in 18 languages. And so I was curious to know what was it about Sweden or her or her experience that made this Nigerian woman land in Sweden and just immerse herself in the culture so much so to create award-winning books and media from her experience?
0: So it's kind of two parts, right? I mean, beyond being just a curious person, because I'm a travel writer and photographer, I knew once I moved to Sweden, I was going to be exploring the country. I was going to be writing about it, blogging about it, but also it's two parts, you know, so the second part is if I am going to create roots in a country, which means I'm going to have my kids, I have two kids now, I'm going to grow them in this country, create new roots, then I better know the quality of the soil (laughs) I'm creating those roots in, which means I need to go beneath the surface and really truly understand what the culture you know is about what it means to be black and exist in this culture what it means to grow up as a black child what it means for my kids to grow up as mixed kids in this culture and so that for me I was deep diving into Swedish culture from all angles right so slow travel Stockholm is kind of my passion project where it's about exploring the city, exploring things to do, exploring the culture in different ways, in a slower way, so that the traveler doesn't just rush to all the, the sites and just check them off, but actually kind of explore Stockholm in a slower, more nuanced way. The book, Logon, again, is a deep dive into the mentality, how it, what it means to have a Logon mindset in society, in work, in food, in in culture, in play, in emotions, so all of that, and and then even my relationship with Sweden's official website because I did write for them for many years. I still write once in a while, and I was their official fl- photo blogger for two years. Is what does it mean to explore this new home through my eyes as an African black woman, you know? And so for me, it was really important to get that voice out. I remember when when I moved to the U.S., you know, I was isolated a lot. So that isolation informed my work. Well, when I moved to Sweden, it was trying to also kind of put me in a box, but then my voice got amplified even more because I always say that your creative voice comes from that space or place that was denied you, right? That's where you kind of the semblance of your creative voice comes. So when you think about activists, it's usually from a place or space that was denied them. So they kind of fight to open that space up. So for me, it was that kind of isolation I've been mean, trying to be put in a box. And so that's what I fight in my work. So when I move to Sweden and when you recognize that a new society is trying to do that, then your voice gets louder. You then scream, right? Because you've been in that space before and you know what it's like to exist in that space. So your voice gets louder because you're screaming against it. And so I think my voice as a Black African writer and storyteller actually got amplified while living in Sweden, because I needed to say, to show this is who I am, before society tried to put me in a box and define who I was.
1: Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, please consider supporting the podcast. By either becoming a patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash flourish foreign tipping the podcast via cash app at dollar sign flourish foreign or buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish or purchasing a piece of production equipment via our Amazon wish list at flourishintheforeign.com slash support. I also want to invite you all to check out the plethora of resources that I've compiled for you all at the website, flourishintheforeign.com slash resources. You will find a book list to help you get, stay, and thrive abroad, as well as the Build a Business Abroad Guide and Moving Abroad with Intention Guide. All right. Let's continue the show. I asked Lola if there were vibrant Black communities in Sweden or in Stockholm specifically, but also I wanted to know how she, as a Nigerian woman, navigates an intercultural marriage.
0: So in terms of uh, Black communities, there are several in, in Sweden, and it's usually once you come in, you already find that it is quite a segregated society in the sense that it's an open society. It lets you come in and be and do what you want to do, but then it's segregated, so you don't get behind some doors, you know. And in terms of Black communities, you can actually find specific Black communities, so like maybe the Somali community, the Eritrean community, the Gambian community, just so, so the communities are kind of broken down that way in terms of kind of culturally. But when you think about Swedish media, the voices are not amplified. And that, I think, is what, as, is what um, I'm trying to fully understand and grasp why. Right? Because in the U.S., at least, black voices are amplified. But in Sweden, not so much. And that's a, and I, that, that's a cultural problem. And it's beginning to shift because now the marginalized communities are saying enough is enough. We, are, we contribute to society. We are also Afro-Swedes. It's not diversity for the sake of diversity, but it's also inclusion, which means I also have influence in the room, not just diversifying the room, right? And so just in terms of just cultural differences, me being Nigerian, in being Swedish, it's almost like you couldn't get more polar opposite cultures (laughs) than those two cultures. I mean, because Nigerians are vibrant, boisterous, we just, we live with a vibrancy that when a Nigerian is in a room, you kind of know it, <laughs> that the Nigerian is in a room. And the Swedes are more reserved. They're more, kind of, more thoughtful, more mindful in that sense, and, and are a lot more reserved. And so a lot of the cultural differences have come with, with in terms of that maybe mindfulness or, or maybe if Nigeria is a lot more community-based where everybody is your mom and your dad, Sweden, a lot more individualistic bunch that says, try to do it on your own before asking for help. So there are just lots of kind of little nuanced cultural differences that you get to learn as you marry into a culture. And I think that was also what helped in terms of when I was writing this book was I was able to bring that kind of objective nuanced view as not only an outsider, but somebody also married into the culture. So
1: Lola has children and she and her husband are raising them in Sweden. And so I was curious to know what has been Lola's experience raising biracial children in Sweden.
0: So this is actually something I did write about recently for the New York Times, (laughs) about what it's like to raise biracial children in Sweden. One of the privileges I had growing up was not being reminded every single day that I'm Black, because being Black has nothing to do with who I am as a person or my capabilities in life or what I, you know, how I do. And so that was the privilege I had. That's not the privilege my kids have, right? Because every day when they wake up, they go to school. They are reminded that they're different because they look different. They're brown. and And so for me as a parent, what I do is, well, they may not have that privilege that I had. But what I can do as a parent is... Not only educate them, but then remove kids or friends that try to keep pointing out just how different they are, right? So if they have friends that are saying kind of maybe racist things or or saying kind of insinuating, those friends slowly get are slowly weeded out of their lives. Because what I want my kids to grow up with is a strong sense of self that's not tied to just how they look. Because they're going to still meet racism once once they get older. They're going to still meet all the stuff, but they don't need to be meeting it at a young age. So that's what I do as a parent is I try to remove any kind of influence that tries to point out to them in a negative way that they're different. Because they are going to deal with that as teenagers, but I want them to deal with that as teenagers with a strong sense of self. Which is what I had because I didn't. I, that wasn't thrown in my face every single day, so that's kind of the difference, and that's kind of how I'm raising my kids. They are already very strong, and and they have questions. They know about racism, they know all about that, but but also they approach it in a in a very intelligent way as well. And so that's how we I'm I'm raising them so that they have a strong sense of self, and then once they do meet it, then they approach it with with just with a lot more confidence.
1: I know that we may all be a little tired of hearing about COVID-19 and the pandemic, but I still feel like this experience is something that we should record and that we should memorialize. It was a unique shared experience for everyone on the entire planet, and through that experience has really brought to light so much amazing information about different countries. If you're in my Moving Abroad with Intention course, you know that I have stressed that using the information and the data that COVID-19 has provided on every single country in the world would be an amazing starting point to start researching a country that you're seriously thinking about moving to. And so I asked Lola about the Swedish response to COVID-19 and her impressions of the Swedish response.
0: So I think the rest of the world <laughs> knows now what the kind of Swedish response to the COVID pandemic is. Is If you come, you'll be surprised, especially like just with people milling around, no masks. Like it feels like society is kind of back to normal. There was some kind of uh, temporary measures, but it wasn't kind of strictly enforced. It was more of guidelines, suggested guidelines to the to the citizens because it's a country that operates on trust and it's a country that says it trusts the citizens to do the right thing. And in an idealistic world, yes, that's perfect, but people can be assholes wherever, <laughs> it doesn't matter. And so I think what has happened is even though the government trusts the people to do the right thing, people don't do it anyway. And so the Swedish response is a lot more lax than other countries. You know, masks are not enforced. They're not even necessary. And the schools for, for young kids were not closed. And I think for me, the first couple of weeks, it was traumatic. I kept my kids from school. We especially a lot of foreigners were like, this doesn't make sense. What does Sweden know that the rest of the world doesn't know, apparently? Because if their own COVID strategy is different, then they must know something that the rest of the world doesn't know. And then if they do, uh, aren't they sharing it with the rest of the world, correct? So for the first six, I think it was three to six weeks, like we kept the kids home. And then I think for a lot of foreigners were very uncomfortable because when you don't grow up, In the society where you're fully 100% trusting the government, you still have some kind of doubts. And so I think there was a time when there was a lot of, I won't say strife, but just more foreigners versus native-born Swedes, the way they approach COVID and the way they thought about the pandemic, and a lot of foreigners feeling like, okay, we're not comfortable with these strategies. But now, I mean, if you come to Sweden, you won't even know there was a pandemic going on around the world.
1: And of course, I had to ask her about healthcare.
0: So, the good thing is, again, remember in the beginning when I was talking about societies that have to kind of put systems in place to handle stress before they can properly function. So, Sweden has put systems in place to handle stress. So, pretty much very affordable, accessible healthcare for everyone, being able to see doctors and even though, yes, the system is stretched, we still always need more doctors, but you, you, in Sweden you don't feel like you're going to have to go bankrupt or you need health insurance before you can actually go to an hospital or get the care you need, and that's one of the great things, that's kind of where a lot of our taxes go, is into creating that backbone, that structure that takes care of some basic stress factors in our lives so we can actually live a fulfilled or more balanced life. So. In terms of that, the Swedish healthcare system is just a lot stronger in that regards, in that people, it's more accessible and more affordable than the American system. But the the American system, there are lots of amazing doctors, amazing hospitals, amazing programs. You just have to be able to afford it to get to it.
1: I asked Lola to share with me what she sees as the future of travel, considering the unlikelihood that everything is going to go back to quote-unquote normal once the pandemic is over if it's ever over and this is what she said
0: so i i see the future of travel being deeper meaningful travel right it's gonna be like we say no more instagram tourism which is that kind of cutting candy fluffy light just pretty photos from different places yes we'll still share those but now we're actually gonna be focusing on a lot more on deeper human stories because a lot of the people at the, in those destinations were affected by COVID negatively. And so now it's gonna return travel is gonna to return to the most important part of travel, which is human connection. And then travel is still one of the few industries that requires us to physically be on location for it to succeed. And so travel is gonna to have to start kind of digitalizing itself quicker, moving aspects of travel that don't need to be physical to more physical arenas. And so we're going to probably see a lot more kind of maybe online experiences or some things that can be moved to an online realm so that it's still so travel can still thrive when people are not traveling. And then there's going to be a lot more focus on sustainable travel, on local travel, on backyard travel, domestic tourism. It's going to be a lot more on slow travel. So there's going to be more travel with true intention moving forward. Because I think what this whole kind of pandemic has shown our industry is that it was an industry that was quickly building itself on fluff. And so now we have to take that fluff out and then rebuild on solid food.
1: I asked Lola to share some advice for any of you who are aspiring or current travel creators, and journalists?
0: One of the things I always say is once you've found your own voice, there are going to be trends, right? And trends, you want to surf trends like a surfer. You don't want to swim in trends because trends, I, I, I look at trends as uh, riptides or trends as currents. So you want to kind of surf the trend, which means use the trend to sharpen your voice, your existing voice, But don't swing in the trend because the trend can drown you. And so one of the reasons why I feel like I've been in the industry for a while is because I've stayed true to my own voice from the very beginning. I knew what my purpose was when I came in, in terms of it's all about connection and culture and really getting beneath that. And then my voice has changed, meaning in the way I present my work or the way my website looks or my visual voice as a photographer, those evolve over the years, but the core remains the same. So my advice would be one, do what you are truly interested in. Don't go in to say, I want to do this because of the people, because of the audience. Yes, the audience, you know, you want to give back and you will give back, but the audience can be fickle. They're going to love you one day, they can bring you down the next day. What you want to do is focus on stories and subjects that truly interest you, because whether you have one follower or 10,000 followers, your passion will still come true because it's very easy for me to detect somebody that's just doing it for the gram or doing it for the audience. It's not sustainable long term. It really isn't sustainable long term. So beyond just finding your own niche, finding your own voice, try to do things that and follow subjects that you are truly interested in because that's what will kind of sustain you. That passion is going to sustain you when whether your follower count is really low. And then once you do that, then start evolving. Make space for transition. Make space for for evolution because as you evolve in your career, the audience that you started with is probably not going to be the same audience that follows you to the next stage of your life. So that is why you do not want to be tied, married to a specific audience. You want to care about your audience, you want to love them, but you want to know that they either they evolve with you or they don't, and and that's okay.
1: I asked Lola to share some advice on moving to Sweden.
0: First of all, it is a great place to live compared to a lot of places in the world. So, I mean, I would not live in the U.S. at the moment, kind of based on that politics, but I digress. <laughs> but I think my advice would be is try and learn about the culture as quickly as you can because that will remove a lot of edicts that a lot of people add their first, second, third year in Sweden. Because it is a very insular culture. It is a very reserved culture. And that is also why I wrote the book Logom, is to try and you know, demystify de- the, the mindset so that once you understand it, then you know how to move around the wall instead of knocking your head against the wall, banging your head against the wall. So I think... My advice would be just try and learn as much as you can about the culture as soon as you can because it will take a lot away, uh, kind of a lot of that guesswork away where you feel like, is it me? Is something wrong with me? Um, Do they not like me? Is it? But no, it's actually just the mindset. It's a mindset of mindfulness that's giving you your space and leaving you alone. (laughs) Well, the great thing about living in Sweden is that it is a country that just really values work-life balance. So it is a great place to... If you want to just want peace and quiet and thrive in a corner, I think there are many people that want that, especially if you feel like your life has been a daily struggle every single day and you just don't want to think about it and you want to kind of stop struggling in that sense and just live in a corner quietly, peacefully, you will get some of that in Sweden. But the minute you try to expand out of your bubble and thrive out of your bubble, (laughs) you'll probably meet some opposition. So you have to take both the good and the bad. And the great part of the country is that it is, when it comes to work-life balance, it can create an environment for you to thrive, but on a certain level and in a certain space and in a certain box. But the minute you want to kind of expand out of that box, then that's where you're going to have to really be able to fight <laughs> all the way through to, to, to make sure that you get not only just into the room, but actually get influence in that room as well. And so try to learn the language as quickly as you can, if you can. But but also be intentional, choose to thrive, choose to 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 not disappear, you know, once you move into the country, because it's really important. Representation is important. I think it's also important for the next generation, they need to see people that look like them reflected in all levels of society. So, so when you move, but don't try not to disappear. Let your voice be known. Let your voice be heard. And don't like don't fall into the kind of crowd where the country tries to make you homogeneous and just everybody is like everybody else. No, don't do that.
1: Lola is an acclaimed author. And she has a brand new book in which she's venturing into fiction. And it is called In Every Mirror She's Black. And it will be available on September 7th, although you can pre-order now. And so I asked Lola to tell me, what is this book all about?
0: Before this book, I've been writing mostly non-fiction, creative non-fiction. But this book is my debut fiction. Even though I've been writing fiction for a while, this is the first time I'm actually going to be publishing it on a large scale. And this goes back to your point of, black women moving abroad for different reasons right and so this book which is called in every mirror is black follows the lives of three black women who move to sweden for three different reasons one of them moves for career one moves for love and one moves as a refugee and all three of them are tied to the same influential swedish man and so the book is about their stories and their lives and their voices and how each woman is individual and unique and the point for, of the book is to give black women the space to be individuals and unique you know and so i'm really really truly excited about this book it's going to be published by Source Books. it's a great publisher in the us
1: wellness my favorite part of the show i asked lola what is her definition of wellness And how has traveling the world and living abroad influenced that definition and that practice of wellness?
0: I think for me, wellness, I always tie wellness to like a a space where you're allowed to exist without explanation and just be. And, And for a Black woman, there are very few spaces we can actually just be, you know, and exist as we are. And so one of the things I do in Sweden is every... You know, month I organize like dinners where that's just for Black women, where we all just meet and and try a new kind of foreign restaurant and just be. And for us, that's a, one way of well being is to try mentally. To say, you know, I see you. How are you doing? Checking in on each other. So that is one of our kind of wellness rituals here in Sweden because it's a country that can get very comfortable and you can be comfortable in a corner isolated by yourself, just driving, doing your thing in a corner, but then you can get lost in the corner. And so this is a way of getting the you know women out to, to have them to breathe and see where they are, where they need support, how we can support each other. And so as I travel the world, I also learn just one of the things I'm grateful for living in Sweden, again, is just that whole concept of the work-life balance, because I feel like if I had not left the U.S., I probably would have overworked myself. And even though I work really hard now and I'm still kind of very, you know, borderline workaholic, it's still a lot more manageable. And I create moments for self-care and it's a society that allows me to take weeks off vacation. And so that has really informed kind of my new approach to wellness, whereas the way seriously in the U.S., like, the world will not end if we all take four weeks or five weeks of vacation. Like, we, it's really, you know, like if we did. And so that is something I'm beginning to appreciate. Yeah, but for me, wellness is really just tied to just spaces where you can just exist without having to explain your existence. Because explaining your existence is a mentally exhausting task.
1: I asked Lola if she has a motto or an affirmation or a scripture that she loves and that helps her to continue thriving abroad and this is what she shared
0: my uh, my personal mantra is the question why not why not so when people question me or ask me and it's not and i don't say it in a defensive way but when they ask me metaphorically or physically why not Uh, like why do you want to do something then i ask why not because When you ask somebody why not, it forces them to explain why they think you're not supposed to do that thing or why they think you're not invited into that space or why they think you're not allowed. And then it can inadvertently open up their own prejudices to them as well. So for me, I really love, that was the topic of my TEDx talk, the power of asking why not. I really live by that mantra, I do ask why not. If people ask me why, I'm like, why not? Why am I not allowed to do it? Why do you want to go to the North Pole? Why not?
1: Thank you so much, Lola, for your time and your patience. I greatly appreciate you. If you want to keep up with Lola, you can via social media.
0: So I am quite active on social media and uh, my portfolio is at akimade.com, A-K-I-N-M-A-D-E.com. And then on social media, Lola, Akimade. So I'm I'm pretty easy to find. I'm always there. And so but once you go to my portfolio, you can find, you know, links to all my social media, my academy, my agency, my image bank my writing and all of the projects I'm involved with.
1: So. Again, thank you so much, Lola, for being a wonderful guest. If you want to learn more about Lola, you can definitely check out her show notes at com and be sure to buy her new book, In Every Mirror, She's Black, which will be available September 7th, but is available for pre-order now. And if y'all want to do a book club or something, let me know. I'm always down to support fellow Black women, and I'm always down for a nice read. So let me know. And once again, thank you all so much for supporting Flourish in the Foreign, which is shortlisted for the International Women's Podcast Award. Yes, yes, yes. If you love this podcast and you want to continue seeing this podcast grow and thrive, please consider supporting this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash flourish foreign, buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign, by tipping the podcast via cash app at dollar sign flourish foreign, purchasing a piece of production equipment, via our Amazon wish list at com slash support. And of course, writing a review, sharing the podcast. Thank you all. I deeply appreciate you. To celebrate the one year anniversary of Flourish and the Foreign, I'm going to give a 50% off discount to everyone who books a session with me. The discount code is F-I-F, Flourish in the Foreign, 50 Capital F, capital I, capital F, 50. These one hour sessions are not recorded. You will be given a questionnaire and you get to pick my brain and we get to chat for one hour about your moving abroad strategy. The discount code is FIF50. Make sure you go ahead and book that in today. If you are interested in launching your own podcast, I highly recommend joining WOC Podcasters Insiders Membership I've been a member of this membership for a while now, and honestly, I feel that the reason the podcast has done so well, and the reason the podcast is continuing to grow and take on even more exciting opportunities, is because of the support and the great advice that I get from WOC Insiders. So if you're wanting to launch your podcast or just get more serious about your podcast, or perhaps monetize your podcast, definitely join the WOC Podcasters Insiders membership today. And you can do so via the link in the description of this episode or on the website, foreign.com slash resources. It's a great way for you to support this here podcast at no additional cost to you. If you have not followed the podcast on YouTube or on Instagram, what are you doing? There's a lot of great content on both platforms. On Instagram, I have done many, many, many IG lives, some solo and some with past guests that are jam-packed with amazing gems on moving and living abroad. And on YouTube, I really have a lot of great conversations with some past guests about what they're up to now and how living abroad really has changed their lives. So check it out, youtube.com slash Flourish in the Foreign and instagram.com slash flourish foreign. As always, thanks so much to Zachary Higgs for producing the music of this here podcast. If you're in need of music for your next creative endeavor, he is definitely your guy. You can find all of his information in the show notes of this episode. And please remember that it's not about getting abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about thriving abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. Bye. (music) On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I was kind of feeling lonely because my friends were mostly Japanese. And although they were my friends, I didn't feel like we were that close and that connected. This is just the way they deal with their friendships with people is just different. Especially with foreigners, I feel like they kind of used me a little bit as a a token. Because the Japanese friends I did have at that time liked reggae. So they were DJs or they had events and they would just take me with them. But I never was like that close to like just stop by at their house or they didn't come over my place. So I felt a little superficial.